Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 29. We've got a few weeks left here in Deuteronomy, and then we'll start our series through the fall, through the book of Luke. Um, and uh, you can look back over that. Um, I was kind of looking this week, just thinking through the books of the Bible we went through this year, and it's been kind of neat to see the different books we've gone through. And um, we'll, we'll have gone through five at the end of the year if we get through Luke, and uh, which is kind of cool to think about that we've gone through every scripture in five books of the Bible just by being here, showing up on a Sunday morning. And so um, I'm always encouraged by that because it helps me to, to remember who God is and it re- helps me to continue to be in his word just myself on a regular basis, um, and, and I love it. Uh, this morning, uh, we've been in our series through the book of Deuteronomy, and if you remember, um, we've been talking about Yahweh is giving you, right? That, that's the theme of the book is this theme that Yahweh is giving us everything, that the God of the universe, Yahweh, uh, is the one who gives. We can't get anything ourselves, we just participate. We can try to get stuff ourselves, but in this world, whenever we try to get stuff for ourselves, it means we took it from someplace else because God is the only creator, right? So it means you've taken it from someone else. God is the only one that can actually give anything because he's the only one that can create anything because we can't create, we just use And so if you really think about it, the idea that Yahweh is giving you is so important to understand. And so as we come to the end of our series through Deuteronomy, it's kind of still the truth that Deuteronomy is trying to get across is that there is a God. His name is Yahweh. He he gave his name. That's the Hebrew. He he named himself. He said, I want to be personal. I I don't want you to just say the big guy in the sky, right? (laughs) The big man upstairs. I I, I have a name and I'm going to invite you into that relationship so that you can know me and know that my desire is that I want to give you life. I want to give you life. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, is the idea of choosing life. That, that when you read through Deuteronomy 29 and 30, and you come to the end of Deuteronomy 30, Moses is looking out at these people. They've wandered in the wilderness 40 years. Look, you may feel like you've been wandering a long time in your life, Maybe there are issues, maybe there are consequences you're in the midst of. Have you been doing it 40 years? I haven't. I haven't. That means I've been dealing with something since I was four. Like, Because I'm 44. I can't think of anything I was dealing with at four years old. I'm sure there is something. I'm sure if I asked my mom and dad, they'd be like, oh yeah, you're still dealing with like these three things. We saw it at two with you, right? But me personally, there's nothing I've struggled with for 40 years that I know of. That's some serious endurance. And so Moses is looking at these people. He has endured with these idiots for 40 years. I'm just being honest. I mean, he's endured. He's walked through this. He's been faithful. He's even suffering the the consequences of his own actions. He's going to climb a mountain at the end of the book and die because he can't go to the promised land because of his own consequences of his actions. And he embraces that. Let's dive in. First scripture. These are the words of the covenant the Lord commanded Moses to make with all the Israelites in the land of Moab. Remember, they're in the land of Moab. That's on the edge of the promised land. They're getting, that's back when they made the covenant. It was back in Moab. And here's where they're at. In addition to the covenant he made with them at Horeb. So he's saying, look, God keeps repeating his covenant. He did it at Moab. He did it at Horeb. Now you're here getting ready to go in. He keeps repeating the same thing over and over again. Isn't that frustrating? When you can't get someone to want your will. (laughs) You keep trying to get them. No, let me just remind you where we're at. 
And he just keeps reminding. And they, you know what they do? We'll, we'll look at this in a minute. Here's what he says. And I keep reminding you, so Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, you've seen with your own eyes everything the Lord did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his officials, and to his entire land. If you don't know what he did, go back and read Exodus. Read the book of Exodus tonight. You'll, you'll understand what that sentence means. And then it says, you saw with your own eyes the great trials and those great signs and wonders. Yet to this day, the Lord has not given you a mind to understand, eyes to see, or ears to hear. What more does he have to do before you'll respond? Before you'll choose the life that God sets in front of you versus the life you want yourself? What more? That's really what we're talking about. And he says, look, the Lord has not given you. Now, this is something that everybody gets bent out of shape with. So, so you're telling me God wouldn't give to them? The Lord is giving you? No. See, here, here's the issue. The question is, when does Yahweh give? When does he give? Does he give when we're responsive? Or does he give to make us responsive? Or does he do both? Does he give so we'll respond? Does he have consequences when we don't? See, this is the great dilemma of belief. It's the argument that's been happening for thousands of years in Judaism, ancient Israel Judaism, and in Christianity. It's this idea of when does God give? We're going to look here in a minute. He leaves them without excuse. He says, look, I've done everything I can do. And so you can get stuck and say, well, the Lord must not just want me to see. Well, no, that's your choice to not see. And you need to admit that. I'm choosing not to see. These people chose not to believe God. And, God, and so did God say, okay, here, I, I'm going to give you the mind you want. And the mind you want is you don't want to understand. You don't want to see and you don't want to hear. So have it. See how that works out. See, we don't know. God hasn't given us permission to understand free will and, and predestination. The idea that mankind has the freedom to choose and God is sovereign and we can't mess up his plan. I, I don't understand that. No human being on this side of eternity can understand that. And remember, the first sin was what? To try to have the knowledge that God said was off limits. That was the original sin and we still do it today. When God says, it's off limits, now what, how will you respond? What will you choose when I tell you there's knowledge that's off limits to you? Will you go out and grab the fruit? Will you go out and get whatever you can to fill it up? Or will you just say, I believe by faith that what you said then, what you said again, what you said again, what you said again, what you, I'm just going to believe your God, your, that it's true. And I'm going to live by faith and I'm going to trust you and believe you at your word. Boom, that's it. I'm going to respond. I'm going to choose. That's exactly what Moses is telling them right here. He's coming to the end of his life. He's coming to the end of his ministry. He will never speak to these people on this side of eternity again. And he looks at them and he says, look, I'm just going to tell you bluntly, you guys don't respond. That is not like your last will encouragement, right? Like everybody's gathered in the hospital room and you look around at your family and you're like, None of you understand, you all can't hear, and you can't see, goodbye, and kill over. Like, Moses is like, but I have to tell you the truth. You, you won't, you don't, even if God tried to give it to you, you won't take it. He's been trying for 40 years to show you how giving he is, and you won't respond. You've seen it with your own eyes, and it's not enough. Look at what Romans says, see, in chapters 29 and 30, 
The New Testament quotes these two chapters a bunch. A bunch. I'm just pulling out a few of the quotes that are here. But, but these, these last few chapters of Deuteronomy, when the New Testament writers wrote, including Jesus, we'll see today, they pulled from this last sermon of Moses. They pulled from this covenant. It wasn't like they were doing a new religion and a new covenant. They're like, no, this is the covenant back then. It's the same thing. Romans 11.1 says this. I asked them, has God rejected his people? See, Paul is writing, and he's talking about the law. He's talking about Judaism and the Gentiles, and he's talking about how faith in Jesus is now the way to salvation, that you believe he is the Yahweh who saves, the Messiah. That's what his name means. And you look back to that. Today, they looked forward to it, and in this time, they were looking at a short distance back, just a couple decades back. And he's saying, has he rejected Israel? Is he done with them? Is he, is he done with his covenant? And he says, oh, those dumb Israelites, just let them all die. I'm so glad I got a new group of people I can love. Absolutely not, Paul says. No. No, he says, absolutely not. That's an emphatic in the Greek, okay? That, you don't need to know Greek to realize he's like, no, like slamming his fist down. Absolutely not. Look at what he says. For I too am an Israelite. a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. See, Paul says, he hasn't given up on Israel. You want to know why I know? Because I'm an Israelite that's responded. I've chosen life. That's why I know he's not given up on Israel. Sure, Paul, there are times when you read his writings and he weeps for his people. He weeps for the Israelite. He weeps for the Jews. He weeps for them. His heart is broken for them. But deep down inside, he's like, but I know he's, God's fulfilling his covenant through me. He didn't just stop it and give me a new one. He's doing through me a new, he's like, and he goes on and he says, in the same way then, there's also at the present time a remnant chosen by grace. Oh, so God chooses? Yep. And we choose. Good luck figuring that out. We just talked about that a minute ago. We're to respond to God's response. It, it's, it's one and the same. That's what faith is. If you get hung up on it, guess what? You're going for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It doesn't mean we don't study it. It doesn't mean we can't try to understand God's heart. But when you come to the end of it and realize that for 6,000 years they've been arguing about this, at some point you go, you know what? I don't need that tree. I have life, the tree of life to eat from. Why do I need to eat from that tree? Remember there were two trees in the garden. Eat from the tree of life as much as you want. Don't eat that one. Well, I'm kind of tired of ham. I'd like some turkey. I have a ham sandwich every day for lunch. I'm eating the turkey. Well, that was someone else's turkey. I don't care. I want it. And then there's a war in your home because you ate the turkey. Right? It's not rocket science. It goes, everything goes back to like the simple things. And then he goes on. He says, look, it's grace. Now, if by grace, then it's not by works. Otherwise, grace ceases to be grace. God had grace. He didn't have to save these idiots from slavery in Egypt. He didn't have to save an idiot like me. He didn't have to save any of us, but he chose to give. He chose to say, I am Yahweh, and I am a creator. I am a giver, and I'm just looking for people who will respond to choose life. What then? Israel did not find what it was looking for. But the elect did find it. I love this. 
Paul says Israel was looking for a Messiah that would do everything they wanted. They were looking for a Messiah that would overthrow the Romans, that would give them the great life, the good life, the easy life. They were looking for a Messiah that they had created, not the one of Scripture that was going to model the sacrificial system. They didn't want that Messiah. They wanted a Messiah, again, they could control. They could pull the strings. And he says, look, Israel didn't find what it was looking for. See, we, God is so smart, like we are with our kids, sometimes he'll give you what you want just to so you suffer. Right? You ever done this with your kids? Right? They want something, and you, you go, you know, it's not going to hurt them too badly, so I'll let them have it. Here you go. And they're like panicking. Why'd you do that to me? Because you wanted it. This was your choice. That's God, because he's trying to show us how our hearts don't want what he wants. He goes on, he says, look, but the elect did find it. So are we elected? Does God, like, make us saved? And You're not going to know. You just respond. That's the issue. God knows. I don't. I'm okay with that. I don't need to go to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I know what happens when you go there. It doesn't end well. I'll just eat from the tree of life as much as I can. That's Jesus. I'm going there. And, and that's the, still the decision we face today. He says the rest were hardened. They were hardened. So, so did God harden them or did, or did they harden their own hearts? Yes. Both. <laughs> it's always Both. It's always both. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of insensitive, eyes that cannot see, ears that cannot hear to this day. That's what we just read in Deuteronomy. Paul's repeating Deuteronomy. He's saying, well, then, if, if this Jesus, because here's the deal. The Romans, he's writing to Gentiles, and Gentiles are smart enough to ask this question. Watch. They're asking the question, if he's really the Jewish Messiah, then why aren't the Jews following him? Why aren't the scribes and the Pharisees that, that we let have their land and they've got a temple, why, why aren't they responding to this Jesus if... And so he's writing to Gentiles in Rome and the Gentiles are asking, why should we believe you? Why should we believe this Jesus character is the Messiah when the majority of God's people don't believe the truths of Scripture, don't believe what Jesus taught, don't believe how he interpreted things? And Paul's saying... Because they're not responsive. They're just like they were in Deuteronomy. They don't listen. Yet God kept giving them. This is thousands of years later, and they have a temple at this point when he's writing this. It hasn't been torn down yet. They have life. They have all these things. I mean, he says to this day. That's a long time. It's thousands of years. He says, I led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes and your sandals on your feet did not wear out. You did not eat bread or drink wine or beer so that you might know that I am Yahweh your God. The reason that they didn't eat bread or drink wine or beer is because they didn't have any land. They were in a desert wandering around. And God had to make manna come from heaven. And when they complained, he brought lots of quail. And it said they ate till they got sick and it was coming out their noses. You ever had meat come out your nose? That's disgusting. I mean, literally, that's the illustration God uses. Like, like, this is what he says. He says, you look at this, he goes, this is what I've done. Now, our response to that is, oh, I remember what you did. It was so awful. If that's your response, then you don't believe God's a giver. 
you're a complainer. Well, I should have had a different pair of sandals. Should have had better clothes. I mean, I should have had some wine, some bread. God would have been really good, really a giver. I mean, I, I know I made some bad choices, but I'm not that bad. It's, it's the same arguments as today. This hasn't changed in thousands of years. It hasn't changed. And he looks, he says, when you reach the place, and he said, I did it so that you might know that I am Yahweh your God. In other words, I wanted to find out who would respond to me. That's why I did it. Will you wander? Will you wander in the desert 40 years? Knowing you're not going to get to the promised land on this side of eternity while you're still alive, you're going to have to die to get there? Are you okay with that? No. Okay. Well, then you don't want to know me. And that's why Paul wrote Romans. He said, look, and this is from Deuteronomy, but before with Romans, he's like, they don't want to know the Messiah. They don't want to know the true Jesus. They don't want to know the God of the Bible. They want to make their own God. When you reach this place, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Basham, came out against us in battle, but we defeated them. We took their land and gave it as inheritance to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Therefore, observe the words of this covenant. Follow them, so that you may succeed in everything you do. Again, we automatically see the word succeed, and what do we think of? Stuff. Stuff. Not succeed in relationships, not succeed in sacrifice, not succeed in giving our life for others. No, no, no. Success for me. He goes on and he says, all of you are standing today before the Lord your God. Remember last week we had the chairs parted by accident and we were talking about the Shechem was in the middle and they're on each side of the mountain, right? Jezreel. And he's saying, Today you're before the Lord, your leaders, your tribes, your elders, your officials, all the men of Israel, your children, your wives, the foreigner in your camps who cut your wood and draw your water. Everyone's here. No one's missing, right? He says, so that you may enter into the covenant of the Lord your God, which he's making with you today, so that you may enter into his oath, so that he may, he may establish. Look, it doesn't say so that you may establish yourself before God. It says you enter into the covenant, you agree to uphold your oath because you believe that he's going to establish it. I'm going to stick it out. And then he says, you today as his people, and he may be your God as he promised. You and as he swore to your fathers, Abraham and Isaac. You see, when we read again, I'm going to say this over and over again. As I've said this at least three times working through the book of Deuteronomy. Whenever you see the word like success, whenever you see the word you in that passage, you automatically thought about yourself. That's plural you. Whenever it says you in Deuteronomy, it's plural. It means y'all. Y'all. It means y'all have to be on board. You all. If there's any sin in the camp, everybody's going to suffer from it. And you're all gonna, it doesn't mean you get to leave. You stay in the camp. It's a mess. And God has to deal with it. And that, that's the way it goes. And he says, so that you may enter the covenant. And he's, look at this. God is with us today. Are you ready for this? And this is what Paul was saying. Same as here. God is with us today because of a covenant he made thousands of years ago. To who? Abraham. Isaac and Jacob. It ain't about you. It's not about me. God's much bigger than us. Much. God has been trying to show his kindness and his gift to humanity for thousands of years, repeating the same message over and over and over, and we keep clamoring for a different one, just like his people did. It's no different. 
It's no different. And God does not love you because you're so great. He loves you because he wants you to be a part of something so much greater. (laughs) He wants you to have a story that goes back thousands of years, not 10 or 15 He wants you to be confident to know that he's a God that keeps his covenant so you can keep yours. He goes on, he says, I'm making this covenant and it's oath, not only with you, but also with those who are standing here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God and with those who are not here today. Guess who that is? Were you there at Shechem? Nope. Some of you were if you went to the promised land. (laughs) But not at this moment. He says, look, I'm making this covenant for you and you, 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 you. I'm asking you, just like I asked the Israelites, to respond to the truth of my word. Do you believe I am who I say I am? Do you believe I can see things? Do do you believe? I'm, I'm... We're we're sitting in the presence today of God, and he's asking, do you believe I uphold my covenants that long? You see, they were to respond by faith to what had been revealed up to that point. We have had more revealed, so we are without excuse even more, Romans says. We are even more without excuse than the Israelites were, because they didn't know half as much as we do. And yet we have more excuses sometimes than they do. I mean, God has proven himself and proven himself. And that's what Moses is saying. He's saying, man, God keeps proving himself. Look at this. Indeed, you know how we lived in the land of Egypt and passed through the nations where you travel. He's like, remember, it can be worse. (laughs) Remember who you were before you knew God, before you even believed God was good, before you began to even seek him. You saw their detestable images and idols made of wood, stone, silver, and gold, which were among them. I was driving in this morning, and when I started the car, the radio was on. The Tour de France is happening, getting ready to happen. And I heard about a job, two guys. One of them's an undertaker. The guy that's in charge, his normal job is being an undertaker. But for the Tour of de France, his his job is he goes out with paint. He's got a van. He's He's got a van, a paintbrush, and a bucket of paint. And his job is to go out, and as they're doing the Tour de France, before the race starts in the morning, he and his partner, partner drives, he's in the other side of the seat, he jumps out of the car, and his job is to do nothing but paint away the detestable images that are on the highway so that when they take helicopter shots or drone shots of the race, there's not giant phallic images and terrible things that people have gone out and drawn to be funny or to be offensive or to try to get a political message out. And his job is literally to either redesign it into something or to paint a big blotch over it so that when the racers come up and they fly above, you don't see offensive images. That's his full-time job during this time of year. He's also an undertaker. And he's like, I love it. And he says he's been spit on. He's, He's had his paint kicked over. He's had people get mad, I mean, scream and yell at him. It's not even your highway. Like, you have the right to just deface stuff because you want to. Yeah, you pass through. You saw their detestable images. Be sure there is no man or woman, clan, or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Be sure there's not a root among you bearing a poisonous and bitter 
fruit. Listen, you got to be careful that your heart doesn't turn. And I'm warning you this morning, if your heart turns to bitterness, you, you are headed down a road that's disastrous. We have nothing to be bitter of if we know Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a Christian, not a Jew, who chose to hide Jews and chose to stand up against the Nazis because of the treatment of Jews, even though the Jews weren't elect. <laughs> they weren't believing Jews. They weren't Christian Jews. He, he was, he, and he stood up against the churches that were letting it go, which is the, that's who turned him in. As a result, Dietrich Bonhoeffer died in a concentration camp. I don't know what situation you're in, but I guarantee you it ain't no concentration camp. And he endured it because he believed this. He believed that I'm supposed to be the person. I'm not going to let my heart turn away from God's covenant. I'm not going to let my heart turn away from the truth of God's word. No one should be treated this way, especially his covenant people. I'm not going to stand for it. While all the other Christians in Germany were playing it safe, we're going along. The Catholic bishop in Germany, the Catholic church turned a blind eye. And those documents have been sealed in the Vatican and we can't read them. And the covenants that they made with Hitler. You want to know why? Where's the Vatican located? Mussolini, Italy. It's in Rome. Mussolini was in charge. At part of the Axis power, they would have marched in and leveled the Vatican. So to not lose their stuff, they made a pact and let the Jews be exterminated. And we can do the same thing, thinking we're doing the right thing for national identity and for the best thing. And all the while, all we're doing is being a part of turning our hearts toward God, getting bitter. There was such a root of bitterness towards God's people, and it's easy to get that. And when you do, that's a problem. You see, he says it's a bitter fruit. Remember that God has a fruit, right? The fruit of the Spirit, which I'll look at in a second. Here's what Paul says, same verse in Hebrews. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. If you can't do these two things, you cannot see the Lord. I don't know what that means, it, but it should scare you. It should panic you a little bit. It, it should cause you to flinch. It's meant to be there to cause you to flinch, just like Moses telling the people about the covenant. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and by it defiling many. And make sure that there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for one meal. That is us. We will sell out in a heartbeat for what gives us pleasure, for what I think is what I, we will. Esau couldn't see the end. Jacob couldn't see the end either, by the way. You know who's the person in that story who could see the end and see the promise? Mama. Jacob's mom. She understood where the promise was going to lead, and she was even willing to sin to get it. And somehow God worked in that. Good luck figuring that out. But that's the story of God, redeeming people, making something out of a mess all the time. That's who he is. That's what he does. So that we can't take any credit that's the point. He goes on and he says, for you know that later, I don't like later. <laughs> I like now. You know that later, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, 
He was rejected because he didn't find any opportunity for repentance, though he sought it with tears. See, he, he wanted his blessing back. He, he was never going to get it. It was over. Now, will you still worship me? Will you still surrender to me? Will you still serve me? That was a struggle for Esau. It was a struggle for him to serve God and surrender to God without having his blessing back. And that's exactly what we hear today. You can have your blessing back. Maybe not. You going to be like Esau? Are you going to trust God and say, I have the blessing of heaven. I don't give a rip what's here. It goes on and it says this, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of bitterness, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Wait, so, so am I being controlled by the Spirit or the self? Yes. Both. <laughs> you respond to God's Spirit. God's Spirit works. It's the way we've been talking since Genesis. <laughs> It's the same story. It goes on. It says, against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. This is what always happens. When, it's, when a root of bitterness comes up, it's always the other person. Never me. I'm poking. I'm provoking. Not, it's me. I own it goes on and he says, we live by the Spirit, we have to follow the Spirit. Where did the Spirit lead Jesus to right after the high moment that we read a few weeks ago of baptism? Oh, that's right. Forty days into the wilderness to temptation. That was Spirit-led for him to starve for 40 days. See, we don't want to believe that there's a God that would ask us to do what he did. To suffer like he suffered. But that's our God. We can't get away from that. That's the God of our Bible. If you want to believe in a different one, have at it. That's not the one I can tell you about this morning. And if we're really honest, suffering is the only thing that gets our attention. <laughs> it is. When things get really bad, that's when we get on our knees. That's when we cry out. That's when we go to Scripture. That's when we, most of the time, when it's coasting along and doing well, we're all about ourselves. But when it gets hard, we start thinking about reality and life. And, and then it's what? We can help others versus just being selfish. When someone hears these words of the oath, Moses says, he must consider himself, he, he may consider himself exempt. I love this, right? You, you've heard these scriptures this morning and maybe you're sitting there going, well, that doesn't apply to me. That, that's, that's that other person. That doesn't apply to me. That doesn't apply Okay, if you consider yourself, like Moses knows what they're thinking at this point. Like, if you think you're exempt because you're just so great and just so awesome, he says, thinking, I, have, I will have peace even though I follow my own stubborn heart. <laughs> this will lead to the destruction of the well-watered land as well as the holy land, or the dry land. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him. Instead, his anger and jealousy will burn against that person and every curse written on this scroll will descend on him. The Lord will not, will blot out his name under heaven and a sing single him out for harm from all the tribes of Israel according to the curses of the covenant written in the book of the law. Now, now there's been a lot of discussion about this verse, but this is not probably someone struggling. This is someone who said, I'm done with God. I don't want to hear his covenant. I, I'm not hearing. I'm not seeing. I want nothing to do with it. I'm not seeking. I'm not repenting. I've already made up my mind. This is what I believe. This is what I'm going to do. Nobody can tell me different. If that's you, you're probably not saved. I'm just telling you. 
You probably don't know God according to this scripture and a lot of other ones in the New Testament. He says, future generations of your children who follow you and the foreigner who comes from a distant country will see the plagues of the land and the sicknesses the Lord has inflicted on it. In other words, suffering will get their attention. And all its soil will be a burning waste of sulfur and salt, unsown, producing nothing with no plant growing on it, just like the fall of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adam and Zeboam, which the Lord demolished in his fierce anger. All the nations will ask, look, all the nations will ask, why? You ever asked why? Why has the Lord done this to the land? Why this great outburst of anger? Why? Because we're idiots. We deserve worse. We don't deserve to be alive. Life is a gift. If you are breathing, praise God that he hasn't just been done with you and said, I'm done. I mean, I came to the realization of this for the first time in my life at 19 years old, laying in a hospital bed. And when, I, when God was looking at me in the face and said, Matt, either you're going to surrender to what, you, what I want you to do in life or you're going to keep trying to do your thing. But here's the deal. You're not getting out of this hospital until you make a choice. And guess what? If you make the choice to not follow me, you're dead. I'll just bring you to heaven. I'm done. It was as clear as I was reading, as I was praying, as I was in extreme, excruciating pain for the first time in my life, a pain that no one could fix because I'm allergic to so many antibiotics, a pain that was killing me literally because the staph infection in me, and I'm laying there, and finally, finally, I wake up. Wow, okay, I'm, I'm done. I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what I'm going to do when I step out of here, but I just can't do this anymore. When you come to that realization, it changes you. It doesn't make you perfect. It's just you can't get away from that moment. You can't get away from that, that moment when you said, it's no longer me. And then when you ask why, you're reminded, oh yeah, because I should have died at that moment for the things and the people I hurt, for the way I disrespected my parents, for what I had done up to that point, the way I treated God's grace for six months when I came to know him in October and God's like, no more playing around and he put me in a hospital bed in April and said, I'm gonna kill you because I love you and you're ruining my grace. And then he's been patient with me for the last, I don't know how long, 31 years. Is that the right math? No, that's the wrong math. He's been patient with me for a long time when I deserve it. And he looks, he goes, look, why? Then the people will answer. Look at this. Then the people will answer. I will answer. Why did that happen to you? Why? It is because they abandoned the covenant of Yahweh, the God of their fathers, which he had made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. <laughs> it's because God has been consistently faithful and we have it. They began to worship other gods, bowing down to gods they had not known. Gods the Lord had not permitted them to worship. Therefore, the Lord's anger burned against this land, and he brought every curse written in the book on it. In other words, he warned them what was going to happen. God just doesn't do stuff to us. He warns us ahead of time, and then we still do it anyway. That's like parenting 101. This is what's going to happen, and then we do it. And then we're like surprised when God does it. I can't believe a loving God would. That's what you do. He goes on, he says, therefore the Lord's anger burned. He uprooted them from their land in his anger, rage, and great wrath and threw them into another land where they are today. The hidden things belong to the Lord our God. I love that Moses throws this in here. He says, the hidden things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us and our children forever. How long's forever? Forever, thank you, Forever. There's no end to it. 
But we can't stand to not know the hidden things. I don't want to know the stuff I can know. I want to know all the stuff I'm not supposed to know. God's like, I've given you more than enough to study, to, to spend. Like, I've given, you more, I've given you my spirit, my son, my word. I've given you everything, and it's not enough. He's like, I've given it so that your children can have it, so that we may follow all the words of this law. Choose life. He goes on. He says, when all these things happen to you, the blessings and the curses I've sent before you, and you come to your senses. I love this. Moses is like, when, I find, when you finally... All of it on top of you, and you can't sleep, and you can't, and you're just under the pie. He goes, maybe then you'll come to your senses. That's what happened to me. Finally, it was like, boom, the lights went on. Like, I loved having the idea of this God that gave me grace and forgave me from all my sins, and I could go tell people how great it is to be forgiven. And then God's like, wait a minute, we got to deal with you, and you need to go repent to all those people you hurt in your past. No, I'm not doing that. You don't know what they did to me. I'm not going back. They were participants. They did it too. When you come to the point where you come to your senses, and look where you come to your senses, in all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. God drove me to that hospital bed. He he lovingly drove me to it. My father actually drove the car. I remember crawling down the hallway of my dorm, not being able to walk, only making it to the study lounge, screaming and crying in pain, wondering what is going on. And in my deepest heart, knowing, I know what God's doing. I know know he's not playing around anymore. And I didn't want to admit it, and I didn't want to deal with it. And he says, when you come to your senses while you're in the nations, and you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart, and all your soul, by doing everything I'm giving you today, then he will restore your fortunes, have compassion on you, and gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. When are you and all in your household going to follow God and obey everything perfectly? When's that going to happen? Not on this side of eternity. And that's why he says, when all of you are perfect, and you're all doing what I tell you, then I'm going to restore. That's exactly what Revelation says. When the judgment comes and we're judged and we puts us in heaven and we're going to be given, yep, that's what's going to happen. Until then, it may not be restored. He says, I'm going to have compassion. I'll gather you from all the peoples where the Lord God has scattered you. Even if your exiles are at the ends of the earth, he will gather you and bring you back from there. Everything. This is what Jesus said about that same passage. He quotes Deuteronomy right here when he's speaking. The sign of the Son of Man. He's talking about himself. By the way, that's our title of the book of Luke. Our series through Luke is going to be called The Son of Man. That's the title. He says, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will appear in the sky, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Notice it says all the peoples of the earth. That includes us. See, most people think we're going to see the heavens part and we're going to be like, yeah. No, we're not. The heavens are going to part and you're going to fall on your face like a dead man, just like John the disciple did when he saw Jesus. Nowhere in scripture does anyone ever, God appears and they're like, woohoo! Doesn't happen anywhere in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. God appears and everybody falls dead. And they're, 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 they're like, oh my gosh. They're just, 
And then God says, it's okay, I'm good. Oh, okay, I've forgiven you. You've chosen me, it's okay. And that's what he said to John the disciple in Revelation. And look what he says, he said, he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Again, we can argue, what does it mean to be elect? I don't know. I know God elects, and I know i got to make a decision about the election. i got to live in the election. That's what we're living in the last how many years? We've gone through three election cycles. We're still living in the middle of three election cycles. Nobody's happy. The Lord your God will bring you into the land of your fathers, your, your fathers possessed, and you will take possession of it. He will cause you to prosper and multiply you more than he did your fathers. Why? Because it's heaven. It's the ultimate fulfillment of the promised land. You're going to have way more than you could ever imagine. And then he says, the Lord will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants, and you will love him with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you will live. You'll live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. That's the final judgment. Then you will again obey him and follow all his commands I am giving you today. The Lord your God will make you prosper abundantly in the work of your hands with your children, the offspring of your livestock, your land's produce. Indeed, the Lord will again delight in your prosperity as he delighted in that of your fathers when you obey. When you obey. The Lord your God, by keeping his commands and statutes that are written in this book of the law, and you return to him with all your heart and your soul. See, we try to obey, but we don't want God to have our heart. Right? We obey because there's something we want. So I'm going to serve and I'm going to obey and I'm going to do because this is what I'm going to get. God says, no, no, no. I'm smart. Moses says, I'm smarter. I know what you're thinking. You're going to obey and you need to have your heart changed. Both. Both. It's both. This command that I give you today is certainly not too difficult or beyond reach. (laughs) We spent 20 Nine chapters looking at commands, okay? There are 613, I think, 600, over 600 commands in the, in the Old Testament. That certainly it's not too difficult or beyond your reach. Say what? Yeah, it's not. It's not when you understand who God is and when you surrender your heart and when you know, are you ready for this? You know that he's a forgiving God in the midst of you trying to be obedient. But if you want to dismiss your lack of obedience, that's a scary thing. He goes on and he says this, this command that I give you today is certainly not to be too difficult or beyond reach. It is not in heaven so that you have to ask who will go up to heaven, get it for us and proclaim to us that we may follow it. And it's not across the sea that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it for us and proclaim to us so that we may follow it. But the message is very near you in your mouth in your heart, so that you may follow it. Listen, if you're here this morning, I I hope you hear me. We've been reading scripture, and I'm bringing this message near you right now. You have to choose. Will you choose life, or will you choose what you want? That's what he's saying. Moses is like, I'm bringing God's word. It's a gift. His word is a gift to you. He's bringing you close to him. He wants you to know who he is, how he acts, how to treat one another. He's bringing it close. Now, 
Will you follow it? Will you wrestle with it? Or will you just dismiss it? And he says, who will go get it? Who's willing to go get it? You willing to go get it? No. Too busy. It's near you. Will you respond? Look at what Paul says in Romans about this passage. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart who will go up to heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Or who will go down into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Are you ready? If you confess that Yahweh is the only one that can save you who is Yahweh. That's what Jesus is Lord means. It means the Yahweh of the Old Testament, who is the Savior, who is the Messiah, who is Yahweh. If you'll say that out loud, if you believe and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. In other words, you're dead, you need a new life. You'll be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness. In other words, it makes you right before God when you surrender your heart. And one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. That's when we cry out that I'm saved. We give praise to God. We confess our sin to him. See, that Paul's saying that's exactly the message. It's the same message. It hasn't changed. They were looking for God to be their savior. We know he came and saved us. We're all looking forward to the day finally comes back and we're all saved. It's the same message. See, today I have set before you life, prosperity, death, and adversity. For I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commands, statutes, and ordinances so that you may live and multiply and the Lord God may bless you in the land you're entering to possess. And remember, we talked about blessing a few weeks back. We got that word all messed up. Blessing means being happy. Happy is not, happy is a choice. It's not something that you just feel. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was happy to give his life in a concentration camp for the glory of God. And he wrote about it. He was happy to fight for God's statutes, for God's will, and for God's covenant. And he died doing it. Because he knew there was a land he was going to possess that was nothing compared to being in Germany. And having a house and nice things and having his job at his college because he was a professor. None of that compared. So what do you want to possess? Because as Moses wraps up, he says, but if your heart turns away and you do not listen and you are led astray to bow down to other gods and worship them. Let me repeat that. If your heart turns away and you do not listen, you are led astray to bow down to other gods and worship them. In other words, there are other gods clamoring for your worship. There are other gods that are asking you to bow a knee to them all the time. And some of them are cloaked really well. See, the Bible says Satan dis disguises himself as an angel of light. He doesn't come with pitchforks poking you because then you run away. <laughs> That's not very good deception. He comes looking good like he's an angel of light because he was an angel of light. He knows how to disguise himself as one. He comes promising things that he can't deliver on. Look at what he says. I tell you today that you will certainly perish and will not live long in the land you're entering to possess across the Jordan. 
This is what happened to them. They didn't enter, they didn't stay long. You say, well, they stayed a while. They were there a couple hundred years. I mean, that's not very long in terms of like human history. That's like, that's like not even a, like a moment. Gone. Your lifetime's like a dot. Like 70 years, boop, that, that's it on a line of eternity. Like it's, it's not much. He goes, I call, he says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. I, look, this is the same thing Paul said in Romans 1. He says, look, I've set before you life and death. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Choose life. Can I be honest? We're going to look at this a second. We, we don't want to choose the life that Jesus offers. It's too hard in our minds. Love the Lord your God and obey him and remain faithful to him, for he is your life. Look at that. You see that? He says, choose life. And automatically, when you think choose life, it's all these things you want in life, right? Like, choose life. Oh, yeah, choose this life, that life. He's the life. So what do we need to choose? Just got to choose him and choose where he's called us to be in the relationships and that, that he's called us to. And that is awful. It's hard. It's difficult. I promise you. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do in your life because Moses dealt with it for 40 years. He looks and he says, look at this. Remain faithful to him for he is your life. He will prolong your life in the land the Lord swore to give your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the only one that can give you eternity, no one else. This is how Jesus said it. He said to them all, if anyone wants to come with me, remember we just read where he said, follow God, that's what Moses said. If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself. You have to surrender your heart. You have to deny what you want for what God wants. You have to take up your cross daily. Wait a minute, Jesus only had to die once. Can't I just die once and then we're good, like and I get all the blessings? No, every day when you wake up, you're gonna put on that cross. You're going to die again that day. And follow me. Whoever wants to save his life, whoever wants to choose life will choose to lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me, he'll save it. What does it benefit a man if he gains the whole world, if he gains the whole promised land, if he gains all the beer and wine and bread and all the stuff they couldn't have in the desert? What does it matter if you get all of that stuff, yet you forfeit your life, you forfeit yourself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, that's Deuteronomy. Listen, there are some hard things in the Bible that Christians today keep dancing around because they don't want to deal with it. They've made up bad theologies, bad teachings because they don't want to deal with the reality of this God. They want to make up their own. And he looks and he says, if you're ashamed of me and my words, when you read hard things in scripture and you're ashamed of it and you don't want to talk about it and you want to dismiss it, be careful. The Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. See, there's a lot in culture today that's ashamed of God. A lot of Christians I meet that are ashamed of their God. They always have to apologize for him. 
Always have to apologize. Well, I know this is hard. I know it's, it's hard to believe. It, no, this is true. I don't apologize for the words of Scripture. I don't apologize for the God of the universe who creates, who is Yahweh who gives. He is the only one that can give anything, and I have to make a choice about that. I have to choose whether I'm going to choose the life that other people offer and other religions offer or choose the one that's offered in this book. I, I don't get to make it up. And that's exactly when you read this last passage, that's exactly what he says. He, Jesus says, look, if you're going to be ashamed of this, don't be surprised when you get to heaven and it's a surprise and I'm ashamed of you. And I say, I don't know you depart from me into eternal torment. Those were Jesus's words, not mine. We love to pull out Jesus's kind and lovely words. Jesus had some of the harshest things in all of the Bible to say to people. Not because he was unloving, not because he was mad, but because he cared enough to say the hard things. See, that's what I love about this book. That's what I, I can't get away from it. I can't get away from the glory of Scripture, the glory of God's Word. I'm not ashamed of it. I want you guys to know it. I want to share it together. I want to read it together. I want to go through even the hard parts and not skip it because it's just amazing. And we've been doing this for far too long. We need Christians that are going to dig in and be like, I want to know this God that's behind this book. I want to know his words and not apologize. I don't want to be ashamed anymore of my faith. Can I tell you, if you do that, you're going to suffer. Jesus promised it. If you're going to follow me, you're going to suffer. Just like I did. If you preach the gospel in certain places in our culture, your career's over. It's over. You're going to be persecuted if we believe this. Here's the question. Is it worth it? Do you believe the promises that Moses gave the people to say there is a land that's coming that's better than you could ever dream? And it's worth obeying. It's worth surrendering your heart and obeying God to do what he's asked you to do where you're at, believing that he will give you that land someday. It's the same message. And any time we decide, I want to know some hidden things, and we go instead to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, instead of the tree of life, we're in trouble. And can I just tell you, God's grace is sufficient. Remember what Paul said, has God given up on his people? Absolutely not. God has not given up. He's offering grace. He's just saying, will you respond? Choose life. And when you choose life, don't be surprised if it's a cross. Every day we bear our cross. We say, God, it's yours. Again today.